could have had one more in our show notes, and it could have been Preparation H. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Magic the Gathering Under the Hood. I'm your host, Chris, and I'm joined, as always, by my friend and co-host, Joe. Say hi, Joe. Hello, everyone. Joe, level one judge, coming at you again. And today, we are going to be starting somewhat of a smaller series. We don't really know how we're going to do this flow, but might not be a consecutive series. Might just be, you know, like we did with the protection series. Um... But what we're going to be talking about is the constructed format. So we're just going to, to jump on into this and uh, be sure to have your hard hats and uh, reflective vests ready because uh, we're going to be talking constructed. And as always, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, you want to talk to us, uh, reach out to us, get our opinions, whatnot, uh, you can contact us by email. Uh, by sending it to mtgunderthehood at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash mtgunderthehood. And you can find us on Twitter using the handle at mtgunderthehood. So, Joe, with everything that's going on and everything, with uh, new sets being released and all of that fun stuff, have you been doing any deck constructions, brewings, upgrades... I've had some ideas in mind, but I didn't really get anything new set and ready to go. But I did pull out an older deck that I had deconstructed after a while. Uh, this one is a commander deck focused around Mael the Anima. Now, Mael is a great commander focusing on big creatures that originally was brought out in Shards of Alara set. And I love this commander. I had a deck that was based around, you know, it's, it, it had a bunch of just massive creatures in it where you, you tap mail and you can look at the top number of cards on your library and pick one of those big creatures that had power five or greater and just slam it onto the battlefield. And it was a really fun deck. It was mostly known because I used to keep a large collection of creatures available and hand the, the stack of creatures to my opponents and say, choose how you want to die. <laughs> And at which point, you know, I'd let my opponents actually choose a portion of the creatures that went into the deck, and hence it's nicknamed the Gozer, the Gozerian deck, because you get to choose your method of your destruction. I, I've eliminated that portion of the deck now. I've actually upgraded it because several sets have come out since the last time I played it, so I wanted to make sure it got a nice tweaked upgrades, and I standardized which creatures are in there. Um, I've also just gotten my hands on some other creatures, like Godsire, also from the Alara block. Mm -hmm. Just a massive creature that creates more massive creatures. So I brought that one back out. I've, I played it at uh, Friday Night Magic last week, and it, it went fairly well. It's difficult to go up against a discard deck, though, so when they take away my options, it's tough. But that's the deck that I put back together, and I'm hoping it'll see some more play as we go along. Chris, you built anything recently? Unfortunately, no. Due to work schedule and life and everything, Magic has kind of taken a little bit of a backseat. I did get to play a little bit, uh, I think, two weeks ago or something like that. I'm still recovering from that one because of one of the players that I was playing against. Oh, yeah, you told me about but, that. Yeah, it did not go well. <laughs> I would have loved to have a judge present <laughs> just to help explain things to a player. Well, if you're available, I, I know you usually work on Friday nights yeah. pretty late, all right? but if you're available next week, Saturday, I know the LGS is doing a uh, modern night. I'm not available to be there, uh, but I think you might be able to bust out some maybe your modern mill deck, go and teach some players how it's supposed to be played. I was either going to go with Mill or Walls. Either of those would, would really be devastating people. Oh, so. I know. It's, uh, it's absolutely unfair sometimes <laughs> with my wall. <laughs> All right. But, <laughs> but other than that, no, um, I haven't really updated or anything. Right. Updated or brewed anything. Um, just been living life and just trying to get everything 
just trying to find a new groove. Yeah. Yep. So, Joe, with every show we have words to live by, and these ones have been sitting in our in the pile of words to live by for a while, so why not we just jump into it and you can take the first one. These words are two slang words. We have rummage and loot. We've been talking about maybe using these for a while, and since we didn't really have anything else that worked well with today, we decided we're going to go ahead and talk about these. Rummage is a slang term that refers to discarding a set number of cards, usually one, then drawing a set number of cards, and again, that's usually one. The player does not usually gain an advantage in the number of cards in their hand, but they're attempting to increase the quality of the cards in the hand. Now, this one is usually one of those uh, last desperate attempts because you have to discard and then draw. So you're hoping to get rid of a card that is not so great and then pull something much better into your hand. But you don't know what you're going to pull in your hand until it's too late. This term actually originated from the card Rummaging Goblin that came from Magic 2013. And that, again, the ability on Rummaging Goblin was tap, discard a card, draw a card. And so the inverse to that one is loot. Uh, Loot is a slang term that refers to drawing a set number of cards, usually one, and then being required to discard a set number of cards, again, usually one. Uh, The player doesn't usually gain an advantage in the number of cards in hand on this one as well, and they're also attempting to increase the quality of cards in their hand. this term was originate, uh, originated from the card Merfolk Looter from Exodus, which required the player to tap, draw a card, then discard a card. So where with rummaging, you are discarding first, then drawing, and then with looting, you're drawing first, and then you can discard something from your hand. Me, personally, I prefer to loot that way. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> that, that way, it's, I draw a card, and if it doesn't work with what I have in hand, I can easily just... Oh, yeah. The the only time I want to discard before I draw is if I know I'm drawing more cards than what I'm discarding. So if it's something where, you know, discarding a card is part of the act or part of the casting cost, but then I'm going to draw two or three cards on top of it, then I'm okay. But if it's a one for one, I would always rather loot than rummage. So something like uh, Cathartic Reunion. Yeah, cards like that. Stuff where. You're discarding a certain amount, but you're getting more back. Exactly. Yeah. Otherwise, you're, you're just so concerned about... Uh, are you going to get something worse off of that draw than what you pitched? Yeah. You know, that's that's just... It's too big of a risk for me, usually, to, to be willing to do it. Not always. Unless, you know, if the deck is built around discarding, maybe. But usually I'd rather loot instead of rummage. Well, Chris... We're talking about constructed formats today. So we're going to do a bit of a quick intro on all of this, and then we'll get into our, our actual uh, format discussion. So what is a format? A format is a style of play that establishes which set of cards you can legally use in a con- uh, use to construct a deck. Um, there are more sets that are permitted in a form... The more sets that are permitted in a format the more complex the interactions between the cards can be. Also, the more sets permitted in a format, the higher likelihood of playing playing against or confronting powerful cards will be. So there are several different kinds of formats. We're going to give you a big list of them. We'll talk about some of these today. So the formats that are most commonly played. Standard, Pioneer, Modern, Legacy, Vintage, Block, Popper, Two-Headed Giant, Sealed Deck, Booster Draft, and Commander. Now, there are also many other formats. We have Tiny Leaders, we have Artisan, we have CEDH. These have a very small, or a much smaller following, but there are plenty of people that play. In fact, there's one guy that's been coming over to Friday Night Magic over at Gamescape. Twice in a row, he has wondered if I brought my Tiny Leaders deck. So I told him next time I come over, I'll bring one so that we can play. He's really into that. 
All right. There are also formats that can only be played on MTG Arena, and the most classic one of this is the historic format, because of how Wizards is putting the different cards together to create this format. And then there are formats that actually require additional cards to play the game, and the most, the most well-known of this is the plane chase uh, method of playing, where you not only have your deck, but you have a deck of planner cards planar cards there, that's the way you pronounce it, um, and you'll rotate through that deck in addition to what you're playing. So they can get rather complex. And plane chase is so fun and so chaotic. Yeah, I've, I've heard so many good things about it, just never gotten a chance to play. I have the uh, I have the plane chase app on my phone, so next time we get together with the group, definitely. We'll yeah. definitely have one plane chase game. And Sounds good. So today we're going to focus on some of the bigger formats, and we're really gearing this towards newer players. So the goal is really to prepare players for the formats that are most commonly experienced at Friday Night Magic. So we'll begin with our constructed formats. Chris, take it away. So question is, what is constructed? Well, constructed is a term is the term given to building decks around a specific groups of available sets from the history of Magic. The deck building requirements are typically the same and the constructed formats that will be discussed today include standard pioneer modern legacy and vintage and when we say the deck building requirements are typically the same what we're meaning is you're going to need at least a 60 card deck you have to follow the banned and restricted lists that go along with those those formats and you're usually allowed a 15 up to a 15 card sideboard Mm -hmm. So those are the, the deck building requirements that we're talking about. The standard format. Standard, we're starting off with this one because really it's where a lot of new players get involved in Magic. It's where I got involved in Magic both times that I started playing. Mm -hmm. You start with standard and then as you collect more cards you can branch out. So standard is really, the number of sets that go in there can be a little confusing at times. So the way Wizards actually describes it is that every year, four sets of Magic cards are released. And then every September, the oldest four sets of cards rotate out of Standard. So to give you an example, because it's always the best way to do it, as of our recording date, our current Standard pool includes cards from the sets Throne of Eldraine, Theros Beyond Death, Ikoria, Core 2021, Zendikar Rising, Kaldheim, Strixhaven, and the Dungeons and Dragons Adventures in the Forgotten Realms set. Next month, rotation is going to take place, and then our standard pool will include cards from the sets Zendikar Rising, Kaldheim, Strixhaven, the D&D set, and then the newest set, Innistrad Midnight Hunt. So the way I always like to think of standard is you have the past year and everything that's coming forward in the year ahead. So it gives you about two years worth of cards once you have all the sets really included. So it is a lot of fun, but again, it's, it's where most people really get involved and it's, it rotates very quickly. Chris, tell us about the rest of them. All right, so Pioneer is a non-rotating format. So what that means is, unlike Standard where things will rotate out, um, with this being a non-rotating format is as new sets are added that card pool just becomes larger. For Pioneer it's a non-rotating format that includes all sets from Return to Ravnica to the present day. Um, I know for Pioneer whenever they announced it they had already banned several cards. Yes. Um, they Primarily, they had banned all of the fetch lands. Yes. Because their con their idea for Pioneer was to make it similar to modern. Modern light, I think, was really the way they were trying yeah. to get it. Yeah. yeah it was modern light. They mm -hmm. wanted to make it to where it was a modern-esque format, but not that expensive. Yes. Because the fetch lands are pretty much where everyone blows all their money. But that's a story for a different day. Yeah. And then <laughs> um, modern... Uh, it's a non-rotating format that includes all sets from 8th edition to present. And that one has its own banned and restricted list. Um, Legacy is all cards from all sets are legal, but certain cards are banned or restricted due to power level reasons. Because the cards do not work well in the format, such as the conspiracy cards or cards that require um, anti-cards or dexterity. 
Yes. So those are the ones where you have to like throw it in the air or something like that. Right. And then vintage, which is the last one that we're going to cover. It's a no-holds-bar slugfest, including all cards from the entire history of Magic. A few cards are banned because they don't work well in the format as well, such as the conspiracy cards, the anti-cards, the dexterity cards. And many cards, rather than being banned, they are restricted, meaning you can only have one of them. But there are still some banned cards. Um, Loris was actually one of the most recent banned vintage cards. Right. Because it was just so broken in the vintage format because yeah. it just accelerated how everything can work. And vintage is the only place in Magic where you can actually use the Power 9. Correct. The Power 9 are restricted, so you can only have one. Um, so Black Lotus and Channel are both restricted. So yep. there is a chance that you could channel Fireballs, your opponent... And get a turn zero, pretty much get like a turn zero win. You could. I created a couple of vintage decks. They are nowhere near oh, like yeah. <laughs> what you see everyone else playing. And that's because it isn't uncommon for some competitive vintage decks to be worth over $100,000. Absolutely. And that's just insane. There has to be some preparation that goes into constructing decks. What you'll want to do is review the sets currently available to you based on the format you want to play. And there are some questions that you can ask yourself. What are the strengths of the sets? What are the weaknesses of the sets? What are the themes of the sets? What are the unique mechanics of the sets? Now, if you put all of those in together, you can kind of get an idea of how you want to go in certain ways. I know for Modern, uh, whenever I played at the Grand Prix, a lot, I lost count of the number of, t number of decks that I saw that were pretty much all the same, just different variations yeah. of the Amulet Titan deck. So yeah. for any of these constructed formats, you want to first start with an idea, and then you kind of want to boil that down, figure out what sets have the best strengths that go with that idea while also avoiding the weaknesses of those sets so that you don't... Unless you want to build one off of the weaknesses, you know, or, or look at something that isn't quite as popular, isn't played as much. But really, you are. You, you want to you get an idea of what each set is trying to do. What are the goals of each set, uh, especially your color combinations mm -hmm. as well. You know, because if you're, if you're looking at, for example, standard right now, if you want to build a red-green deck, well, that's great, but you got to remember, Strixhaven didn't support the red-green color combination. So when you're looking for red and green cards, odds are you're not going to find that many from Strixhaven that are probably going to support what it is you're doing with from the other sets. In addition, the red-green color combination from Theros, and I'm just throwing this out there, uh, I haven't actually done any research on it, could be very different from the red-green color combination that happened in Kaldheim. All right, so are those two sets going to work together well when you try to start mixing and matching cards to create something that is standard legal? You know, so just you have to look at everything that's out there. Plus, you want to know what do you find enjoyable about each set. If you're not excited about your deck, if you're not excited to play it, don't play it. Just just don't. It's <laughs> do you find themes particularly engaging from those sets? I really liked the the escape mechanic from Theros Beyond Death. I thought it was really interesting, very enjoyable. Uh, it was not at all powerful, but oh no, I take that back. Uro, Titan of Nature's Wrath, was powerful with the escape mechanic. But overall, the escape mechanic was not overly powerful. Uh, what was the red card? Which red card? Oh, Underworld Breach. Yeah, there we go. Gives everything escape. Yeah. Yeah. You know, overall, though, the mechanic itself, the way it was designed, was not overly powerful, but it was really interesting. Do you like a particular color pairing? You know, we already talked about that red green color combination. Uh, you know, if you like that, that's great, but you got to start thinking, too, across different sets, are you going to have a wide variety of options available to you, or are you really limiting yourself to cards from one set in particular? Which can make it not only difficult to build a deck, but it means that your your standard deck is going to rotate out a lot faster. Prime example, my standard deck is an Aquaria Cycling deck. And it's great. I really like it. It's fast. It's powerful. It was incredibly cheap to build. 
But when Aquaria rotates out in a month, my standard deck is done, and I have to start from scratch. I have nothing to build off of it. So. Well, you can easily then just rotate over into Pioneer, and then once... Well, it's not going to be able to stand a chance in Pioneer, but <laughs> but still, you know, it, it's one of those things where I, I won't have a standard deck, and I have nothing to build off of a standard deck. I have to start from scratch again. Yeah. So, you know, just things to think about when you're preparing to build that deck for these uh, constructed events. And, and with all of this, you want to decide what your deck is going to do. First thing that you want to do is you want to check and double check the ban list for cards that you are, like for the deck that you're brewing, you want to make sure that none of the cards that you want to use are banned. Absolutely. I can't emphasize that enough. The last thing you want to do is get through a bunch of the, the pre-planning you know, uh, phase of your, of your building your deck, and then you realize at the end one of the cards is banned. Or worse yet, <laughs> you go and you build the deck, you show up that night, and then you get told, hey, that card's banned. You actually can't use it in this event, so we need to take those out and replace them with basic lands. You're basically done at that point, you know. So definitely check the ban list. <laughs> and then what is the goal of your deck? Also, you want to ask, how will it win? And how will it stop your opponents from beating you? I'm going to use my... Um, my my modern Arcades deck for this one. Okay. For this example. So I'll run through um, everything for what I want my deck to do. With okay. Using my Arcades deck. Ban list. None of the cards that I have in it are banned. Good. Great start. What's the goal of my deck? Get Arcades out on the field as fast as I can. Get High Alert. The, the Enchantment High Alert out as well. That way I can actually use my creatures. And I want to take advantage of Arcadia's ability where a defender enters the battlefield, I get to draw a card. Now, my deck is full of defenders. They are really they're really high toughness, really cheap costing, because they can't normally attack. So that's the trade-off. So I have a lot of low-costing creatures that I can just generate card draw off of and just keep filling my hand. And so, what's the goal of my deck? To have a giant, pardon the pun, wall of creatures on the field, and then I get to turn them sideways and deal damage equal to their toughness rather than their power. Bonus points if I get Tetsuko out on the field, because then that's just an instant win, because they can't that's block true. anything. How will it win? I literally throw walls at my opponent's face. And I can use defensive spells offensively by buffing their um, toughness to deal more damage to my opponent and what's to stop my opponents from beating me well i have some control cards so i have uh, slaughter the strong which each opponent uh, each player chooses creatures whose power totals four and then sacrifices the rest well all of my creatures have like zero maybe one power arcades is a three so i can choose right. arcades one of my uh like one of my one one guy, like one whatever guys, and then all of my zero power guys, I get to keep all of them. If they have big guys on the field and they can't make it equal four, well, guess what? Because it's uh, slaughter the strongest four or less. Right. I can choose my entire field and keep it. If they have a bunch of big stuff on the field, they might not get to keep any of it. That's true. So I can use it. So I have it to where it's one sided board wipes. That's how I can stop my opponents because I can make it to where I'm not a target and I have stuff that's really hard to get through. Yeah, absolutely. So with that deck, I covered, I checked all of those boxes and the theme that I have for it is I went with defenders. Like yeah. I saw Arcades, I was saw that I loved it and went, I want to build a deck around that. So <laughs> once you get everything all, once you get all of that fleshed out, then you can go from like brewing to building to playtesting, and then from there you can just start fine tuning, adding cards, subtracting cards, swapping cards, stuff like now, that. Hold on, hold on. We missed a very important step in the deck building process, especially for these older formats. You got to establish your budget. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. really can't. We cannot again overstate this. You want to establish your budget now. It's very easy. Especially when you start looking at uh, modern 
legacy vintage decks. In fact, I read an article uh, earlier today that the average modern deck is now close to $1,100 a deck. Mm-hmm. Which, again, is the most expensive it's ever been to build a highly competitive modern deck. So when you're looking at this and you're preparing for uh, for an event, you really want to make sure you stick to your budget. So how much are you really willing to invest? Great example. I, went, I wanted to build a modern deck. We talked about this on the previous episodes. But I really did not want to invest a lot of money. I was really hoping to keep it $150 or less for, for a modern deck. One of the ideas that I got excited by that was still relatively cheap was the Exalted mechanic. It had a bunch of, it had the aggressive strategy that I really enjoyed and wanted to do. And yet, the a, a lot of the exalted cards were not overly expensive, so I could stick to my budget. I could invest some in the mana base, like I know I need to, without dropping a lot of money on all of the extra cards that go with the deck that actually make the deck you know, function. So, really pay attention to your budget, and before you dive into researching what cards you really want to put in, know how much you're willing to spend. So now that we've talked about the uncomfortable subject of budget yeah but again something that must be discussed it's time to do your research Mm -hmm. so the research portion of this this is another sticky situation and we're just going to straight up address it at this point you need to find out what other players are doing with the colors you've picked the themes you've picked or the mechanics that you particularly enjoy from that set so chris would you talk to us a little bit more about what goes into research after you find out what you know everyone else is playing, some people call this net decking, um, and we can understand why. It's you go online and you find out what everyone else is playing, and then you kind of take some of those ideas and you branch out, make it your own. Yeah. So this is where net decking comes into play, um, and that's just simply going online and looking at what other people are playing, um, and then using those ideas. To branch off and make it your own. Now there are some people that just truly net deck and they see what, right? What took like, what went eight and zero at like a certain tournament, and they go and they build that exact deck. But the thing is with that is, if you're just doing that, there. Yes, there's a chance that it might do good, but don't expect exact results of what you get from the internet. Not by a long shot. Magic is a game of variance, and just because it worked really well for that one tournament and that person went 8-0 with it doesn't mean you're going to have the same results. And in fact, the deck could just not line up at all well for you. You And you could lose turn after turn after turn, and it's just just not happening for you. I mean, going back on your whole, you know, Magic is a game of variance... I've had one card in my Sir Conrad deck. And of all the times that I have played my Conrad deck, I have only been able to use that one card zero times. It happens. And you know exactly what card I'm talking about. Yes, I do. Space Godzilla Death Corona, the original printing of it. Yeah. And I've had that thing in my deck for ages like it was one of it was literally it was one, one of the, the f- earliest cards you put in the deck yeah yeah that was like that was like mark one that was in like my mark one cards right that and that card has never left through all the upgrades that i've done space godzilla which is <laughs> void beckoner space godzilla has not left that deck and he will not leave that deck until i'm actually able to either play him or cycle him so yeah, I mean, th- this is one of the things that comes with research. Uh, and then remember your budget. As you're going into research, you have to keep in mind that you're going to see expensive deck lists up there because people are willing to drop hundreds of dollars. That happened with Modern Horizons too. Ragavan immediately became a staple in the modern format. And it's, I think, $75 a pop right now. That's the monkey, right? Yeah. Oh, Ragavan, yeah. Nimble Pilfer. When I start to think about that and I'm doing the research, like, well, I would love to play a red deck, but a 
majority of them are now using Ragavan as part of their you know their play te- their playset, and I, I can't do that. So I need to find budget alternatives for that deck, or I need to just let it go by the wayside because what they have constructed is not going to work for my budget. So just again, some things to keep in mind. It's time to actually get the cards. You've figured out what cards you want, you're excited, you think it's gonna work. You've probably done some play testing where you've proxied some of the cards yourself and you've you've seen if it'll work. Get the cards, go build the deck. And there are a variety of methods that you can actually purchase the cards. Uh, you know, just make sure you have you will have them in a timely manner. So you get some time to actually work with the cards, play the deck itself, you know, get them sleeved up, ready to go. Uh, your local game store is always great. You can use internet resources like Card Kingdom or TCG Player. I wouldn't recommend it, but you could go to eBay. Um, You never quite know the quality of cards you're getting off of eBay, but it is available. Use whichever one works best for you and your budget. Um, And if you do use eBay, one of the things that I I cannot stress enough is use PayPal. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, Because if you use PayPal, PayPal will actually work with you if... If they send you the wrong thing, PayPal has lawyers designed specifically to fight for you on like cases of fraud, cases of fraud, not, or not delivering the product essentially, exactly, yeah. or yeah. like scamming. Yeah. And then once you have your cards, once you have everything all hammered out, and you have your deck nice and sleeved up in its deck box, it's time for the day of the event. So remember to take all of your supplies that you need. Uh, We did a deep dive into Friday Night Magic prep in episode 10 of our Friday Night uh, Magic premiere. But a quick review is uh, you want to know when and where the event is taking place and you want to arrive before that. You want to know the format so that you have the right deck. If there's an entry fee, you want to make sure that you have some money on hand so that you can pay the fee you want to have. Beforehand, you want to make sure that you have a Wizards account created and you've downloaded the Magic Companion app on your phone. This makes it easier for everyone involved. You want to have make sure you have your deck. You might want to think about bringing some extra things to make it smoother, such as dice, playmats, etc., sleeves, um, s- snacks, and water, if you know your organizer allows it. So, fumbling through all of that, Joe, what's the next thing that you want to do? with your deck. You want to pilot your deck. That's all you got to do. At this point, you pay attention to what's going on, and you go to your seat, find your table, play the game, and you have fun. You do the best you can. You play your deck the the way you designed it to play. But a couple things to keep in mind. You can't control the opponent your deck brings, the the deck your opponent brings to the table. They're going to bring what they think works best, Every deck has strengths, every deck has weaknesses. You're trying to mitigate the weaknesses while emphasizing the strengths, just like your opponent is. And sometimes the deck that you go up against, it's going to specifically be able to target your weakness. You can't control it. You you, you can sideboard in the best you can after game one, but sometimes the pairings just aren't going to line up for you. And then other times, the pairings are going to line up exceedingly well. You may have a really easy time, and it just so happens that your deck goes really well against each one of your opponents. Great. Congratulations. That's wonderful. Whatever the experience is, take, take the lessons you learn from those games. Get ready to move on to the next one. All right. One of the greatest lessons you can really learn at this point, especially if you're a new player, is to be willing to ask for help. Now, I'm not even talking about like talking to other players or anything like that. We're going to get into that. But the first resource you should look to is the judge at the event. Call a judge if you have a question. And again, we can't emphasize this enough because both Chris and I have been in this position. You should never, 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 bold italics, never. Underline. Underlined. Rely on your opponent giving you completely accurate information during a game. All right. Now, if it's just read the card, that's one thing. But when it comes to mechanics and everything and the way, for example, the way the mechanic ward works, you know, if you are not sure that it's accurate, call a judge. Have them come over, ask your question, 
It's very easy, very simple. And in fact, judges are happy to come and answer questions. We greatly enjoy it. We'll gladly come over and make sure that the game is progressing correctly. It's not a problem. But never, never, never rely on your opponent. I have seen opponents give incorrect information and then the player just accepts it as fact. I have even seen people ask another person at another table, hey, how does this mechanic work? And they got incomplete information and it messed up their game when all they have to do is throw their hand in the air, say judge, and a judge will come take care of you. Chris, you have your hand raised like you want to say something. What's going on? Judge. <laughs> so, um, I, have a, I actually have an anecdote to go with this one. Go for it. Multiple instances of amulets of vigor. Um, right, they trigger independently. Trigger independently. I trusted that my opponent was giving me a true, you know, giving me truthful information, but I wanted to just double check him. And so instead of just outright calling judge, it's like, hey, are you okay if I call the judge just so that I can get get some clarification? He's like, yes. So I put my hand up, I called judge, and uh, judge comes over and it's like, all right, what's up? All right, so what's up? It's like, okay, so here's what happened. And I, you know, was like, so he has, you know, multiple amulets of vigor out. He used, you know, this primeval titan came into play. Both of the lands that he, uh, the land that he grabbed came into play tapped, and he tapped it multiple times. Is he allowed to do that? And then the judge was like, yes, and here is why. Because it doesn't say, because of the way that amulet of vigor is worded and, you know, stuff coming into play tapped. Because Amulet of Vigor says if a land would come into play tapped, untap it. Because the card that he played said this land enters the battlefield tapped. So because he had multiple instances of Amulet of Vigor and because the wording Mm -hmm. was correct, he was able to, okay, this one enters the land enters the battlefield. It's tapped. Amulet of Vigor will untap it. In response, I'm going to tap it. And then Amulet of Vigor triggered again so he was able to untap it and then he tapped it again so he was able to get multiple taps off of that one land into right. the battlefield and you know it was like all right cool it's like cool just wanted to clarify that it's like right thank you for your help and, and i'm said, sure your opponent wasn't angry with you either you oh, know? oh no oh no he was fine with it oh no he was like oh like whenever i asked him it's like hey are you okay if i call a judge he's like yeah go for it so do not be afraid to call a judge but there are other things that you can do when it comes to asking for help. So, Chris, tell us about some other sources that you can go to. So, after the match, you can talk to your opponent. So, you can ask what their thoughts, what their thought process was in creating their deck. You can seek building advice from them. You can ask them what the key interactions are with their deck. If it's a highly competitive format... Um, they might not really disclose that information, but again, that's at their discretion. Yeah, that's fine. They don't have to, you know, but there's, there's really no harm in asking. Um, and especially I've always noticed that if your opponent wins, they're much more likely to share information with you and give you some beneficial advice as opposed to if they lose. That is, and Especially if they know you're, you're a new player, you know, somebody who's not quite as experienced. And we want to be make sure we're very clear, too. This is all completely legal within tournament rules. You know, there there is nothing that prohibits you from discussing the interactions of a deck once the match is over. It's not a good idea during the actual match. And in fact, when when the match is going on, you could get hit with outside assistance if someone is telling you those ideas. But once the match is over and your match slip has been turned in or you've reported the winnings, whoever, you know, whoever won the, the match, you're free to discuss how the event, you know, how the, the match went in complete detail as much as you like. Yep. You know? So, so it's, it's completely, yeah, legal. You're not breaking any tournament rules by doing that. Um, there was one person that I played against. Like, he was like, dude, he was playing white. He was playing uh, Boros Burn finely tuned and everything and so like him and i were talking and i was like well it's like i see that you're playing mill it's like what it's like do you it's like what are you playing i was like do you want me to show you my deck he's like yeah so i sat there and i sorted out my deck into into all the cards that i was yeah. playing and i was like this is what i'm playing and he looked at him and it's like well that's a good combination that's good that's good i can see how that would work this it's like 
it was like a couple of cards were kind of iffy in his opinion, and it was like, I see that you it's like, did you think about playing, you know, you know, this card, this card, or this card? And I was like, it's like, and I looked him up on my phone. And I was like, ah, oh, those would have made a lot more sense. Yeah. And so, like, they are. I want to say most of your opponents, but not some. I'll yeah. settle with some. Some of your opponents are going to be really cool, and like, they'll happily, you know, hot wash and debrief with you, whatever. Yeah. And then there are some that are just all right, cool. I won. Deuces. Yeah, they're off to the next round. That's it. They're yep. done. Yeah. Now, if you have a buy round. This is a great opportunity to actually make some notes on your deck, some changes you might want to make after the event. Keep in mind, you are not allowed to actually change your constructed deck in the middle of an event. So once it's set, it is set, and you have to keep it. Even if you get a buy round, you can't sit there and go, oh, I wish I would play this card instead. So I'm going to go ahead and take some cards out and put those. That doesn't happen. That'll, mm. that'll, that'll very quickly get you disqualified. So don't do that, you know. Uh, the other great thing to do during a buy round is watch other people play. Again, spectators are allowed, uh, and unless the, the the players actually request that you know whoever is watching be not permitted to be there, you're allowed to go watch events. You can watch other people play, see how they're doing. Um, you know, it just gives you a better idea of of learning the game and learning how other people play and how they approach with different decks. So. Always go go go. Just check check out what people are doing and see if you can glean some information from their play style. So the last thing that we want to go over is reviewing the performance of your deck. So like I said, with with what happened with me, you know, you want to hot wash, debrief, you know, mm-hmm. even if it's just with yourself. Were you happy with its performance? Uh, are there changes you would like to make for an improvement? Uh, do you need to start over from scratch? And be honest with your critique. So, with my, we'll go back to Grand Prix with me. Was I happy with the performance? Yes. And if you aren't happy with your performance, that's where you can go to the next thing. What improvements can you make? Because there's always improvements to be made. You know, thought collapses in there. It could have helped me put a little bit of control into it. So While that, still following the main point of your deck, yeah. Exactly. Um, do you need to start over from scratch? Sometimes a deck just doesn't do what you wanted it to do. <laughs> um, I've had I've had several decks that I've played only once, and that's yeah. because I had an idea. I wanted to go, I wanted to try it out. I tried it out. It failed horribly, and I don't mean just in the sense that, you know, it lost every game. But it was like the mana base. The, the mana base was off. The mm-hmm. mana curve was off. I didn't have the right distribution of spells. Maybe it wasn't as focused as you thought it was going to be. Maybe you thought there was one specific goal, but in fact, you had like four different goals going on all at one time. You Ex- know? Yeah, exactly. And so there have been several times where I've only played one deck at like one. Friday Night Magic. And that's it. <laughs> and then it goes, okay, you are being deconstructed and you are going to be going into, and you're going to become something very different. Yeah. Like the last thing it says, be honest with your critique. Right. If it didn't work, it didn't work. Try to make improvements. If you can't make good improvements, start over from scratch and go a different route. And it's, it's okay. I mean, a lot of your ideas, especially when you're first getting started, a lot of the deck ideas you develop are not that great. They typically aren't very tuned. They typically don't have the focus that they really need to have. And that's all part of the learning experience for the game. You know, it's, it's kind of the way it is with any game. Very few people in the world are amazing at a game from the get-go. So you, it takes time. You'll develop those skills, but just be honest and don't try to uh, don't, don't don't try to make a deck work when it just isn't working. <laughs> so, all right, Joe. Seems like we are getting close to the cleanup step. Um, even though this is a long episode, we've been recording for a little bit. Um, do we have any extended reading? Yes. So we've talked a lot today about building your deck and focusing on your main deck. 
We didn't focus too much on the whole idea of the sideboard, and that's because sideboarding can be a rather complex issue, and we're not ready to tackle that one yet. But when you go to a constructed event, you are allowed to have a 15-card sideboard. So today's extended reading is, uh, actually it's a video, but it is a guide to building sideboards for beginners. And it is meant to give you the basic foundations of what should go into your sideboard. It is not going to tell you exactly how to build a sideboard, but it will give you the foundation of what you need to help you learn how to build a sideboard. So it's called MTG, an introduction to sideboards, how to build this important part of MTG decks. It's by uh, the professor of Talarian Community College. And even though it was originally published in October of 2015, it is still a fantastic resource. Um, he's actually done a couple updated videos as well, but I think this is a great place to get started. And you're gonna be able to glean a lot from this, this particular video. So, and the link will be posted in the show notes. All right, so we actually have a question for this week. I'm so happy to and see this. And it's on topic. It is. So the question is, what is your fav favorite format to play and why? Joe? My favorite format was originally sealed. Now, of course, it's warped over time. It starts off as standard because that's what I could play. But recently, I think Booster Draft has become my favorite way to play. I haven't gotten to do a lot of it. But I like that Booster Draft levels the playing field significantly. When we start talking about a lot of these constructed decks, one of the, the main points we always tried to hammer home this episode was be careful of your budget. Pay attention to your budget. Make sure you're not overspending if you're not able to spend that much amount of money on your deck. A lot of times, these constructed events can turn into pay to win. Mm -hmm. Not always, because again, it still is variance. It doesn't mean it's going to work all the time, but it can turn into pay to win, and a less expensive deck typically has a harder time winning. That being said, booster draft, everybody pays the same amount. You get three packs, and everybody is on the same level playing field now. And it's not about how much you spent on your deck. It's about how you're able to construct the deck. Sealed is kind of the same way, just with a different you know approach to how you build the deck. But I really like, I like that it takes away the financial aspect of the game, and it puts it into skill. It, it really is now the, how skilled are you at building a deck, Chris? What about you? My three favorite is so for casual love commander. Oh yeah, I, I mean. Commander is by far, hands down, one of my favorite. Once I started playing it, I fell in love with it, and I'm really, really trying to remember what de what cards were in my Una Queen of the Fey deck. Oh yeah, because I had that one as Fairy Tribal, but it also had a Mill sub theme in it, mm -hmm. and I really want to rebuild that one. Um. So commander, if I want to play casual, sealed, I love doing like sealed events. So like pre-releases, pre-releases are great, and releases yeah. because you get to you get to play with new cards. You don't know what you're going to get. Yeah, and now mind you, it's pretty much like a lotto. Oh yeah, like you're either going to get something really good or you're going to get something really bad. Sealed and draft both have their drawbacks, but again, it's the same idea. You know, it levels the playing field a lot more. And, and so you're able to just go ahead and go in and test your deck building skills. Plus, I do something in Sealed that kind of a fair number of people will do, but it's not really common in our area. Mm -hmm. And if I'm doing like a pre-release, I will build two decks. Because technically, all the cards that you use are playable. Right. So you can build, if you can build multiple decks, you can technically sideboard that's technically your sideboard you're right so you could so, swap them in and out after games so yeah. i it isn't uncommon for me to play to have two decks and go okay this game i'm going to start with this one then if we go to and then game two i'll switch over to this one and i might switch back so yeah. I'll, so it's something that i can do just to kind of keep my opponent on edge 
and I can play with my opponent a little bit, but still, while at the same time being able to play as many cards that I pulled. Yeah. So that so that's my second favorite, and then my third is modern or pioneer. Like I'm putting those two kind of together because they're very similar, mm-hmm. but also kind of different just from their starting points and band yeah. stuff. But they both have the same flavor, um, and that's just because with standard. I, I like I like standard, but the thing that kind of irks me about standard is the necessary evil of it being rotating, right? Because, in my opinion, with standard, you're just constantly buying cards just to continue to play the game in that certain format. Whereas yeah. with modern or pioneer, you don't have to keep up. Like you can keep the same deck for years. Exactly. And still be able to play that, you know, going into Modern or Pioneer, that that deck that you have, barring, you know, updates to the band or band yeah. and restricted list, you know that that deck that you have is going to be playable from that point on until, you know, they come out with a new format or they change the rules or something like that. Yeah. You're able to continue to play that. That's so it's the consistency of of those formats that right. I like. But I mean, got to love Commander. I yeah. love Commander. <laughs> like it's I mean Commander's just fun. There's a reason yeah. why it's the most popular format in Magic today. Yeah. All right, so I am done rambling. <laughs> I mean, we've been at this for we've been recording for a bit. So like I said at the top of the episode, Questions, comments, concerns, you want to touch base with us, let us know what your favorite format is. Let us know what deck ideas you've been throwing around. Get our input on them. Um, you can email us at mtgunderthehood at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash mtgunderthehood. And you can tweet at us at mtgunderthehood. Thank you for listening to this episode of Magic the Gathering Under the Hood. I'm Chris. And I'm Joe. And we look forward to delving deeper under the hood with you in our next episode. Stay tuned.